our podcast is an opportunity for us to explore the landscape of tutoring. Right. So we speak to different types of agencies and schools and tutors and students and organizations to sort of outlay the whole picture. So the podcast sort of exists to, to shed light on the whole landscape. We're pretty strong in culture and setting a culture of autonomy and accountability. Um, And it's amazing what people can come up with. Can you imagine if we could look, look, look back in 10 years time and think we collectively changed the culture of this, of this country with regards to those who are chronically disengaged for good, for I better. I certainly can. I Imagine certainly that. can. That, that's amazing though, eh? Welcome to the Qualified Tutor Podcast. I'm your host, Ludo Miller, and I'll be interviewing tutors and thought leaders from across the tutoring landscape to inspire, inform, and motivate you to become the best tutor you can be. The Qualified Tutor community is a safe and supportive space for tutors who love to learn and grow. We offer training, resources, ideas, and a chance to connect with like-minded tutors. If you'd like to continue the conversation, join our Qualified Tutor community at www.qualifiedtutorcommunity.org or find it in the show notes. Diego, welcome. We are so pleased to have you on the podcast today. Um, Diego Mello from Nudge Education and I are very excited about getting to know what our various services are and how we can put them together to make a real difference and really help the students that we're trying to support. Um, Diego has a fascinating journey, which we'll discuss in just a minute, um, and is full of passion and vision for making a change to the children who really need it the most. Um, So a great big welcome to you, Diego. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's good to be here. Let's see where we get. Yeah, let's see what comes out. So let's start with a lovely warm-up question, which is, tell us about who you were as a learner. Oh, uh, quick, I think, very quick. Um, You know, uh, very probably a very difficult student, you know, difficult learner. Uh, Independent, I think, it's it's probably the word that causes, um, uh, well, that has caused, you know, tangenty, you know. So I'd have, I'd have a teacher trying to teach me about the solar system and I'd be more interested in, you know, in Mars um, in its entirety. Um, I don't know. I just think that um, uh, I'm, uh, it's an it's a, it's a, it's a interesting question. I don't think I've ever been asked that. Um, I think I'm quite, I just I don't know. I think... I think enjoy us. I don't see I don't see myself as a separate learner, as a learner or a non-learner. You know, I think I think the whole of life seems to be quite quite interesting to absorb. So I take everything in quite quite uh, quite intensely. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess we might need to uh, revisit that question once I've had a th- uh, thought. Um, okay, I'm happy. But, to yeah. do that. but I think curi- I think for me, curiosity is the main thing. I think I'm curious. It's for me, it's a what if. And actually joining the dots between all kinds of things that we haven't really, we know it's there, but we haven't quite 
made the connections between that and that. And then actually that and that will actually be quite a powerful, um, you know, creative use of different tools. So I like the curiosity, the experimental thing. So it's good. I think that's beautiful. I think that's really, really beautiful. And it cuts right to the chase of it, doesn't it? We mm. had a, um, a a participant on one of our cohorts who a couple of weeks ago said, I, we asked the same question at the beginning of the course because it gets you into that reflective mode and empathetic to your students. And he said, as a student, he tried not to let his schooling get in the way of his education. Mm. He tried not to let his schooling get in the way of his education. And, and we found that a really, really powerful insight for a student to have that the two things could be separated. So he enjoyed that really, we, that we took a lot from that. Um, so Diego, tell us about your professional background, please, because it's been quite a journey. Yeah, well, um, my professional background, I can probably take it back to when I was about 12. So my parents were professionals in different different fields, completely different fields. But I think having had um, a reasonably uh, comfortable life in a country, Brazil, where you come face to face with brokenness and poverty, you know, the moment you step out of your your, your house and in some cases within your own home you may have somebody that may work for you that actually lives in a completely different world to yours my parents joined forces with others to set up this halfway house and uh, that, that was like an offshoot of a project in a in a rubbish dump um and what they what they found was that some of the kids who were working there they had no mom no moms no dads um they actually didn't know how old they were or their actual names were. So technically, to the Brazilian government, we're talking like 25 years ago, they didn't really exist. They were born in the rubbish dump. They're going to be raised in the rubbish dump and then die in the rubbish dump um, in that kind of environment. So we had, we, we attended a, a church and then the church was very concerned with making sure that that wasn't the case for, for, for some people. So they, they bought in. It was a church full of middle class people, full, you know, full of wealthy people. And there's nothing about class here. It's just the resources that were there and they were utilized to make sure that those kids got um, an identity. So they were it's pre-registration. So they got they gave them a, an identity, trying to find out how old they were, that kind of thing. Then. <clears throat> worked with some agencies to see whether they could be put through to a process of adoption and then move away from that place of, you know, rubbish and to a place where... But in that process, there was this house. It, was this, it used to be called um, my father's house. Um, and in that process, they would we would teach them some basic skills like brushing your teeth or gardening, whatever it is, pre-adoptions or like... It, 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 I mean, I, I don't see it as it's quite dramatic, but, but looking back, it's such a distant reality from this country. Even, even though I get to see some of the most broken things ever that I can come across in the UK, it's still a million miles away because for those kids, you know, like from uh, from the basics of of developmentally speaking. Uh, it, it, the building blocks as we know it wasn't really there. So they were pretty much um, victims or players in their own environment, and that environment wasn't really good and sustained something pretty nasty. And in our view, as I think the view that I grew up with is that childhood is quite precious 
my childhood was amazing, including these experiences. But the main thing is, professionally speaking, I then got in touch with things like, well, well I became face-to-face with things like welfare, education, um, international involvement and development. So we got all these kind of volunteers doing gap years coming to, to, to live in this farm um, that these guys from this particular community bought to get these kids out of that rubbish dump give them an ident- legal identity, and then get them ready for the process of, of adoption. It was almost like a halfway house, so to speak. And I think it was there that kind of my professional career kind of came to, um, you know, I don't know, came to, 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 to the surface, came to. And it sounds a bit weird because actually professional means you probably, you've got some kind of um, a proxy, you know, a degree or you know, you've worked for certain organizations. But for me, it was more like, yes, that that's when I thought, you know, the world of education, the world of welfare, the world of um, um, volunteering, mobilization uh, came to, yeah, came to be a thing for me. And then fast track to, you know, just a couple of years later, um, I ended up it doing, you know, studying a uh, a degree in social sciences, did a little, did, studied some youth work, uh, then moved on to um, to do a master's degree in education, then retracted back to the PGCE with a key focus on, on learning difficulties and disabilities. Um, and funnily enough, it was actually doing that process that I discovered that I was ADD, um, which is why I couldn't shut the fridge door. There's going to be a chapter in the book I'll, I'll write one day. It's called why didn't I shut the fridge door? It's already stayed with me that. It's really stayed yeah. with me. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, the thing is, was my mum, you say that, you know, former housemates, people that I lived with in the past, you know, what, what do you have a problem with closing things? And, and I, you know, I used to get really annoyed by it. So, um, so then, yeah, so then, you know, multiple sort of involvement with other sort of worlds, like the world of child men, child adolescents mental health services and their qualifications um so yeah it's a mixed bag really from education to child psychology and i guess a gritty sort of um um frontline kind of desire to be at the on the edges of where most people don't really want to be really so i think whatever qualification that is i think that's my professional background so, it's so i've worked yeah, so from grammar schools, boarding grammar schools in the middle of Kent, all the way through to, um, you know, sexual health projects in, in, in really poor um, Sheffields, um, council estates, um, to, you know, tackling curb drinking with Bernardo's and, you know, uh, and the Church of England across the northeast of, um, of England. So Bernardo's, then taught in a few schools, then went to become you know, joined senior leadership teams in schools, a bit of assistant, you know, assisting with the headship of a school. Then it worked for a couple of other agencies, um, you know, what companies who were developing software um, around stakeholder engagement. How can schools become financially resilient by engaging their people in it, in its life, you know, so they become transactional rather than the school serving a community. The community is a school, and therefore, it's about how we engage those stakeholders in that process. Money is probably a particular thing that we can get from it, but there's a whole load of other things. Um, so that kind of movement-y type of approach to an institution. Right. 
Yeah. So then, so we we also built software to do it. It's an organization called Pebble, run by a guy called Ryan Green, who's actually one of our advisory board members at Nerge Education. And they're doing some fantastic work um, helping schools become financially resilient in a time where everybody blames the government for not enough funding. There's enough to go around. Um, we just got to get, we just got to get some of those building blocks right so that people can participate and give, um, not just financially. So we moved on, worked for some tutoring companies um, um, you know, across the country, traveled quite a bit, you know, being a specialist teacher, dealing with young people who are not engaged in education and out of all of that mixed bag you know came came nerd education so i think i guess i'm you know again not, not having properly thought this through i think that's the best i can give you in terms of my professional background yeah, yeah. so tell us about nerd education ah uh, so nerd education is 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 a breath of fresh air really for everyone um who is vaguely or deeply concerned um, with young people, children and young people, whether they're 5, 10, 15 or 25, um, you know, who've become, who've fractured away from the education sector in such a way that it's developed into a thing that is quite chronic. Um, so we're looking at children um have become long-term disengaged from the education system not just the sector but the system that is an incredibly rich system for children you know where so much growing takes place you know um so nudge education is also this movement of it's a breath of fresh air for everyone but it's a movement of like-minded professionals who believe in the power of human conductivity and that we should be professionally proximal instead of professionally distant from those guys. So, for example, I was not long ago at a very prominent city in the Midlands, um, and I sat with this family in in the middle of this particular neighbourhood. Um, um, that I, I didn't see a tree, I didn't see any grass. I walked into the house; um, doors were the marks of people punching it. Um, I sat there and the smell was, wasn't was so welcoming to my particular perspective. What I saw was complete brokenness. Um, so that's what we call professional proximity. We sit with it, we smell it, we, you know, we live with it. We create that empathy at Nerd Education um, where we can, we can try as much as we can, as much as we were able, able to really almost um, incarnate with that particular thing and from that particular grassroots point using whatever it is that we do the technicalities which everybody's done it anyway things like sessions plans you know but it's that particular emphasis on we've got to embrace it as as our own um you know it's all very well being sat in our kind of nice clean education offices or whatever it is but it's for nerd education is is it's all about having the people out there where it matters creating that connective conductivity with young people and their families and then that professional proximity that then gives an gives us an indication that what it is that it will take for us to repair right. that factor. Right. So and often often what it takes is a really kind heart, right. um, open mind and um, you know and, and a you know comfortable shoulder 
really a few people to lean, lean on to. Um, so, um, yeah, so nudge education is a breath of fresh air, but it's also a, a movement of like-minded professionals from the Sc- these days from, from, from the Scottish borders and sometimes over the Scottish borders all the way through to, to the south coast from Kent to Brighton to Gloucester to, you know, so and everywhere else in between. Uh, it is fascinating and, and it, it is taking its own shape. It, it's, it's, it's running. It's running. It's running wild. All we need to, to do is, is to run with it. Um, instead of trying to control it, so it's uh, it's, uh, it's pretty long, amazing. How long has not been in existence, Diego? Give us a sense of the scope. So, it's, I started nudge education out of particular uh, frustration um, with the way that we were looking after the most vulnerable. Sorry, let me rephrase it. Um, I, uh, I started nerd education about five years ago, and I was a single, you know, practitioner. That was just me. Um, and I thought that I had a bit of a knack to engaging with those who couldn't necessarily engage with anybody else. I didn't know what it was about my practice that was effective. Now I do, with the help of others. We've unpacked not just my practice, but what it is about that informed my practice previous experiences and so on but anyway i went off for it i went and then i worked with this boy in middlesbrough five years ago let's call him bob for now and um bob was you know was was described to me as feral uh. Uh, and nobody can engage with him for more than 30 minutes before he um you know is is potentially dangerous to to, to suffer others um he, before I got there, he had previously harmed quite substantially an animal, um, a pet, from the foster parents that he lived with. The poor dog had to have his, his, one of his legs amputated. It's, so we, we're looking at a really hostile environment. So when you, when you met with that kind of description, you expect that kind of behavior, don't you? You know, I had to put myself in, in his shoes and thinking, actually, what's the story there? The story there is a boy who'd... who'd who'd observed high levels of violence at home from, from day one. It was the only child out of three who was taken out of, who was taken into care. He'd been in three different care placements. Um, he was exposed to all kinds of horrific sexual um, events. Um, and a child that used to be able to, used to have to fight his sister for a biscuit which was a form of entertainment for dad and his friends to watch the two of them fight. Anyway, I thought that isn't, so the boy who is feral and nobody can engage with, that's, that's not the boy that I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about the boy that's, that is broken and craving and has not known love yet or potentially has not had, had fun or free play or whatever it is, autonomy in that process. Or actually the status that that boy gets is, is one, it's a really low one. You know, they may not understand as a status, but when you pass around like you do as a child, and of course, for the sake of safety sometimes and within limit, within the limits of human capacity and patience, of course, people can't sit with something. But for that boy, it was it was hard. Life was life wasn't worth living. So I thought, what could be a life worth living? So I got a tool, uh, you know, I literally I still do uh, have like a like a whole load of bits and bobs in my, the boot of my car. 
Um, it can always use as a, as a called the third object in the room. You know, so it's not about the two of us. It's about that thing that we're looking at. And the head teacher, who is still friends with us, um, uh, she in fact she moved on to other local authorities, and we she she'd taken us with her kindly, um, which is great because we then become to have allies in that mission to eradicate chronic disengagement, which is what we're about. Uh, but anyway, so this boy comes to, um, yeah, she said half an hour if you can half an hour. And she said, because I'd worked with her before, she said, just do, just do your thing. I have no idea what the thing is. Mm -hmm. I was just coming out of, a, of an episode of depression and anxiety from a fractured relationship myself. So, you know, things were, there was common ground there, I thought, you know. I was like, hmm. So I was a bit anxious about the whole process. I was like, will I have to perform here? Mm -hmm. Well, just do your thing, Jake. I was like, I don't, I don't know what that thing is anymore, you know. Yeah. So from that place of vulnerability, I guess, I managed to – um, when I saw that boy, I was just like, to be honest, I still, still gives me goosebumps. The, I, I, I saw a lot of what I wanted him to experience, you know. So we just went to the park and played football. His social worker was with us and she could not believe what was going on there. And we went from a half an hour, then moved on to another to another bit of park. And then we had a bit of food. Then we visited a little lake. Then we fed some of the ducks. You know, and it was just amazing. And we spent six hours. I wasn't really paid to do that amount of hours. And I was never paid for that, for the extra hours that was done, you know. Um, I was paid in, in far more valuable things, I guess. But um, because nobody was expecting, that's the main point. Nobody was expecting us to, or me, to, to be able to, to do, and I did. Well, I wasn't expecting that either. But something happened. And it was that, like that forever to a point where, yes, he got like, he did an ASDAN, a short, a short a a couple of short qualifications ASDAN. We upped his literacy and numeracy skills. Yes, we experienced lots and lots of really good attainment and attendance and all the stuff that really matters. But the most important thing for that, um, for that particular first intervention five years ago was that I realized that what, we were, what I was doing wasn't really teaching maths and English. I was helping children. Take, lift their heads above their particular problems because they can do it. Children are incredibly resilient. The ones that we're raising in the West, not so much. But the ones, the ones who are, you know, in, in the war zones and in, in the villages, they're incredibly resilient. And they, they contribute economically, you know, emotionally, culturally to, to families from the age of, you know, whenever, whenever some sort of... Um, you know, functionality in the brain and the body allows. So age of two, three, they're carrying things, helping parents, helping the older brothers. But here in the West, we don't we don't quite think like that. But nonetheless, that boy went, so what, what I thought we, what I realized we were doing through some reflection and some good coaching, um, um, I realized that what we're doing was helping young people imagine a life that's worth living. And then it was, that, that became what nurture education is about. Um, the world that we're trying to create is a world where no chronically disengaged child, chronically disengaged meaning a fracture that's a bit too nasty that needs a bit of expert help, it's been going on for too long, will be left behind. And every single one of them will imagine a life that's worth living. And then in that particular world that we want to create, our, our mission is to to get rid of this disease, which is chronic disengagement, children being left behind 
Um, nobody, everyone's got a bit of a part to play in this. It's not about blaming which agency didn't do right or, or, or whatever, but it's to understand that collectively that system isn't optimally functioning without those, those, those students who are not there, the children who are not there. So they are an integral part of it. So the system will be hurting by the absence of those students. So by imagining, helping children imagine a future that they want to pursue or a life worth living, what school makes complete sense, learning makes complete sense, is not a, it's not a barrier anymore. But then we need to give them and equip them with the tools that will kind of help them optimally function in those environments, but vice versa, give those environments the tools that will kind of enable them to engage with that. And it, and it really is mostly changing our perspective on the role of the educator, really, um, which is a massive thing, which is why I'm excited about joining forces with the likes of SquarePeg, Fran, who's looking to, to kind of uh, influence a system that is wholesomely inclusive, instead of tokenistically so, um, and some others as well. But anyway, so from there, he went one student and this, this lovely um, uh, yeah, head teacher uh, called uh, Julie Bunn from, from North Yorkshire at the moment. She, she is a force for good. That, 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 that. She's so strategic as well. She knows exactly what she's up to, and she's, she's doing a world of good to the local authorities and children in care, Julie Bunn. Um, so, yeah, so he went from one, two, three, four, and then, you know, somebody said, why don't you, you know, set an organization up? You know, so I looked at the options. Again, independence as, as a learner was key. Um, accountable independence, uh, you know, it's not like a, uh, you know, just going off on one and disregarding all kinds of um uh, you know, I guess, realms of, of, of civil and criminal law, you know, it's got to be accountable. It's got to be, it's got to be rooted in, in, you know, it's got to be connected, but it's got a long story short. Yeah, I sat in the job quite quickly. It took me a few seconds really to go on, on a website and register us as a, as, a, as an entity. And we did it. And um, yeah, um, completed my forms, I've created my forms, invited a colleague, I have a thing, though. Somebody once said to me this, you know, I have, I have a slight, um, uh, you know, no, not so much of a, you know, a traditional um, uh, believer, so to speak, but the, the, the nature of, 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 of religious sort of um, kindness and human interaction is amazing. But somebody reminded me once um, that, you know, someone asked, so what, a historical figure uh, Christ, Jesus, um, whoever it is, however it is that we talk about, said when he sent the disciples to get a donkey, he didn't send one person. He said he sent two. <laughs> so never do anything alone. It's better to do it together, which is why partnership is so important. You know, there's a lot more in that interaction. Right. Um, so so I decided to invite Brian, who um, who had a comfortable full time job managing large scale contracts on behalf of. Um, wealth people in welfare, uh, back to work kind of thing. So t- trying to get people who are long term, long term unemployed or chronically unemployed, um, you know, back to work. And we we kind of watched, we talked over a coffee, and we saw the, you know, the start line here with a child that's fractured from the education sector, and what happened there at the end that he was managing, which was back to work, right. trying to get people to work. It's all connected, yeah. you know. And it's the same disease, 
it's the same disease. It's the disease of an imagination that has not been triggered to imagine what life could be for these guys. Because we know, though, by the evidence of, of, of uh, I guess, the, the anecdotal stories of, that we get in society of people who overcome um, incredibly incredible sort of difficulties, the main thing that you can get out of those stories is two things. There was somebody and there was something that they wanted. Mm-hmm. There was somebody that helped them. And there's somebody, there's something that they really wanted to do, be a gymnast or an air pilot um, or, or a brain surgeon. Um, and so we went from five to 15, you know, to actually um, quite a large number of, I'm not going to even attempt to tell you because I, I don't know, but I think we will just went over our, uh, this year um, a 200th intervention. So... We're not an alternative provider. We're not a long-term solution. We are that reignition. We're like the AA service. Right. Not the Alcoholic Anonymous, the Automotive Association. Association. Yeah. Got that right. Um, uh, yeah, so. Yeah, back on the road. So it's a bit like you, you've broken down, you've, you've broken down, in, 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 have you ever broken down on a motorway before? No, Julia. I did have that scary drive back from Luton recently. You did, you did, but but you know it's it's horrible. You, everybody's like zooming past, it's right. scary, and you're like oh, and then you see that yellow van coming. Can you imagine what it feels like? <sighs> Woo! Yeah, it feels yeah. like hope, doesn't it? It feels like yeah, hope. And then we either get them back on the road straight towards their destination, or take them somewhere where they can be be you know be fixed if we don't have expertise, but they will not be left on the side of the road. That's the main idea. They will not be left behind. Um, So, do you see? We do it already. We do it with vehicles. Let's do it with people. It's beautiful. Um, And we need, we need, you know, and then we went into, I went into this whole world of imagining what it would, would this, this entity would look like. Um, And then that was exciting because I could imagine something completely different from the way that we, induct people and interview people through to all the way that we're delivering this. And then the next challenge was how do you get, you know, institutional or, or, or organizations nationally like local authorities who are risk averse, mm-hmm. but who are craving exactly that thing that you've got to offer, but they're scared to sort of do that. And you can only do that through, again, human conductivity and professional proximity. Um, to a point, yeah. So we're five years on, and we're just getting started. Um, it just occurred to me, Diego, what you are. You're a chronic engager. Oh right, okay, chronic <laughs> engager. But you see, so we're just <laughs> yeah. getting started. Like, yeah. so, so the guys from from Team Square Peg, yeah, say that there's about six hundred, uh, six hundred something thousand children going not attending school in the UK. Um, we knew that. Um, we did do some 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 digging, and it was great to see that we weren't far off uh, from from their figures. But within that, there's about ten percent of that, or just over. It's about eleven and a half percent of that are children who are chronically disengaged, and they're the ones that we really really want to work with. Right. You know, it's about sixty-seven thousand of sixty-seven thousand children who are chronically disengaged from education. These are transient children in the care sector who's education is actually majorly disrupted 
by our own inability to settle a child somewhere and give that child a particular um, chance to engage in education. And that's really, really unhelpful developmentally for a child. The moving around, as well as not having an education and sustaining friendships with others and, and so on, all, all kinds of things. Right. Um, you know, so, yeah, yeah. So there's 67,000 and we're, so we're just scratching the surface. What do we do this year? We'll probably do not point two percent of that of that of that work. So that also means to me, maturing in that particular journey is we cannot do it on our own. There's no way. You know, it can't be about nurture education deploying our, our education experts out in the fields. That that is a part of that mission. The other mission moving forward is we've got to get more people on board with this. We've got to reimagine the way that we look after the ones who've become chronically disengaged. And the only way we can do that is to team up with people who've kind of got that same feel for it. They may have not named it the same way that we have, but they're working towards the same thing like the guys from 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 t uh, Team Square Peg. I think I've got that right. Fran and Ellie, yeah. two fantastic people. Yeah. Uh, that I've had the privilege to be introduced by you, actually, Julia. Um, very, so very happy to make such connections. So, yeah, so Nerd Education, five years. Um, Here you go. Let's talk about your education experts. Um, one of our um, warmest and most generous community members, Amanda Cremona, was the person who introduced Nudge to Qualified Tutor because she is a person who was drawn to that kind of working that you're describing. So I think that, I think that a certain type of tutor, educator, um, a certain type of person who's listening to this will be drawn to hear how to become an education expert for Nudge, what qualities you're looking for, what the work would look like, how to know whether or not they'd be cut out for it, how to be sure that they'll get the support that they need to be successful, um, how to get over fear, their own fear and anxiety, whether, mm. whether their vulnerability, because uh, I'm hearing from what you're saying that, your own life experience is what you bring to the table in these moments, your own vulnerability. Yeah, own yeah, yes, yeah. So, so, so talk to us yeah. about who your education experts are so that well, our listeners can know if it's a right fit. Well, 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 it's not for the faint-hearted, first of all. Right. It's like you, you can't have, you, you can't be expecting to be a GP in an A&E department, basically. Right, right. Put it yeah. So it's it's not it's not for the you know for you know for for the pension waiters um you know um you know class teachers you know it could be for them too but if that's your style of delivery it, we're just not aligned it's not that you're not right you you, you write somewhere else right it's, it's not a bi we don't live in this binary world you're either wrong right. it's just, there's no alignment that's right so you can't be expecting to deal with chronically disengaged children and not come to face with some pretty sometimes hostile or rejecting um, behavior. But let me just take you back a little bit on the on the education expert front and tell you how it works. Yeah. And why it works. Yeah. So, so I'm going to tell you a story of an intervention again. Great. So Jack and Mary Jane. Tell the story a lot. Um, sorry, you've probably heard them a couple of times. And if you're listening or watching, this is 
you probably heard that again. It is true, um, and it is really powerful because it tells us something very critical about the way that we need to rethink the way that we deploy our workforce to work with these kinds of kids. Uh, and it's revolutionary because it goes all the way to the rounds of economics through to HR and everything else and our beliefs on the kind of people that we should be deploying to work with them. Mm. So Jack was a child that had been chronically disengaged from education probably from the age of nine. And it's when he, he uh, observed a, a tragic event um, in his life of one of his parents overdosing in his, in his living room, taken into care. Um, soon um, mum disappears out of the face of the planet too so there's only grandma um, and granddad who then actually being that kind of generation embraces him so he be, he's still in care but in contact with the grandma and grand anyway so a really traumatic or adverse childhood experiences all in there um, potentially you know probably I'd argue um undiagnosed um, conditions such as potential um, FASD, the likes of fetal alcohol spectrum disorders there. So people kind of uh, uh, look at it as, as if being ADD or autism or this, but there's all kinds of things because it was quite complex, the background of that child. Anyway, so everybody tries to work with him and everybody, I want to say everybody, pretty much every other institution across the country tried to work with that boy, um, both in the area where he lived, but making him, you know, moving him around the country. He comes back straight to, to the place where he belongs, which is a particular area of the northeast of England. Um, and, of course, you know, be, being in care, there's a particular part of government called the virtual schools that will look after that child or the outcomes of that child. But, you know, it's hard to, it was hard to engage with that boy. He was incredibly um, astute. Uh, he was really good with motorbikes and cars by the age of 13, and he could start any any car you wanted for you. Give him a give him a give him a um, screwdriver and a hammer, and you know sort everything else for you. You know you 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 find ways of um, getting the key that you left that you locked yourself in in your house in no time, um, and take. He used to probably take some things with him on his way out. Um, but he was also so quick on his motorbikes that the, the police the police cars used to struggle to keep up with him. And he knew all the alleyways in the areas that he lived. So he, and he had a lot of fun doing that. Um, you know, um, probably a, like a, um, a very unsafe version of tag, really, that children experience, right? So criminality, yes, but is that different to, to its slight um, experiences that a child has? Probably not. Um, uh, hide and seek, you know, we all have that particular thing. He just found that the interactions that he had with that particular world, you know, was useful for that particular sort of um, experience that he wanted to have. I'm not advocating for children running away from police, but you can see the similarities of, of, a, of a child playing tag and the excitement of that or hide and seek with what that particular boy was doing. You know, it, it was just done negatively and dangerously. But it's the same thing. Anyway, so Jack comes back to this area and uh, meets, um, you know, this particular people said, oh, we've got somebody who's going to work with you. And he was like, I don't want to, you know, he said F education. You know, I don't really want it. You know, I don't need it. What am I, what am I going to need this for? 
what do you say to a child who says that? <laughs> anyway, so they said, you know, but they have to because they have to. And Ofsted's coming and we've got a Ofsted comes and asks, asks about this child. What about this child? And they had literally, this is what I was told. And then they say, well, we tried. We tried to engage with them, the council says to Ofsted. But it was really difficult. Um, and we're talking about the education expertise. I'll get around to it. And then the council said, ooh, what about nudge? Which is annoying because we're nudge education. <laughs> what about nudge? You should only have such problems, Diego. If the council what? are recommending you to schools, you're doing okay. <laughs> what about nudge? I mean, it wasn't schools. It was a virtual school. I mean, he mm. wasn't enrolled. He'd not been enrolled with the school for so long. Mm. I mean, he's literacy levels once we got there because we did. Anyway, I don't want to tell you about that. I'll tell you about the yeah. education experts. Anyway, well, what happened for Jack was he would meet a lady called Mary Jane. Well, he was actually assigned by the local authority before Nudge to meet with a lady called Mary Jane, a fantastic human being. If you met her, you think, well, what heart or gold you've got? Qualified teacher, all of that. Um, uh, all the proxies, you know, all the, all the, really, all, all the really important things that gives us status that we forget about straight after my PGC. I mean, there's so much that could change about a PGC these days, I think, you know. That's why I like the likes of Teach First and others who are kind of changing some of that concept and talking about leadership, resilience, and, you know, creativity and um, neurology and, and stuff. But the traditional PGC is still a bit dated back in the, the 1960s, really. So we've got to revolutionise that somehow, eventually. Maybe we just have a free one, Julia, that everybody can join um, Sounds, like fun. Sounds like yeah, fun. Let's, let's, let's qualify our own teachers, not tutors only. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, yeah, so so what happened? Jack said, I don't want, don't want education. So what happens is Mary, Mary Jane is deployed as this, uh, you know, out-of-school tutor for kids, you know, within the local authority. And uh, she goes there with, you know, the best intentions and she's she's up and she's ready and she's going to go. She gets there. She, so the first thing that Jack says is, you can get the out of here. She says, no, no, let's have a look. And Jack's workers goes, okay, let's have a look. You know, he sits down and says, he goes, looks at the, he looks at the worksheet and he goes, this is sh shit. And she was like, oh, no, let's give it a go. He's like, no, I don't want to. What happens at the end of, you know, to cut a long story, he... He tells us where to go even more assertively and wipes everything out of the table. And that's when they go, maybe we need to get Nudge in. Nudge then deploys a guy called Arthur, mm -hmm. who is an ex-head teacher, but then had become a carpenter, but also was brought up in the same kind of area, world that Jack was brought up in. Mm -hmm. So there's proximity already there, but there's a guy who imagined a future for himself. He became a professional celloist, traveled the world, seeing all that kind of stuff. He actually made himself out of that chron potential chronic situation. There's all kinds of other things that, of course, that influence Arthur. But Arthur, the main thing is that Arthur showed up with a, with a chainsaw, with a petrol chainsaw. Nothing would get that boy more excited than <laughs> kind of petrol and engines. And, <laughs> and they built a shed in a day. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and Arthur then did an initial assessment with him at the particular point, which made us realize that his reading age was, his literacy levels were as somebody at the age of eight, nine, right. by the age of 14. Right. His numeracy levels were a bit better because he just knew how to um, 
you know, divide up, like, you get an ounce of weed and break that down and potentially sell them on, you know, that kind of stuff. So there's some kind of, you know, used applied uh, numeracy skills there. Right. Um, you, you know, it's, again, we think of children not being able to contribute economically. As, as wild as this may be, a lot of our broken ones, a lot of our disconnected disengaged ones are contributing to a particular system you know, through county lines or whatever it is, they are incredibly active. We're just failing to engage them and help them imagine what a good life could look like, mm. you know, and what a life worth living could look like. But they, they're they doing it. It's about kind of coming alongside and saying, could could this be it, you know? They're doing it. They're doing it. They're doing it all over, you know? Sometimes it's our own children um, in, our, in our nicely organized world um, that aren't doing it. Which is why when they get to certain places like uni, in some cases they're like, oh, they crumble and or they go wild because they, you know they they've not done that to begin with. You know, it's all sheltered, it's all nice and uh, catered for, which is good in some cases. Anyway, so Arthur gets along with 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 um, Jack, in in all time it was an immediate connection. There was immediate conductivity. Of course, you know, uh, Arthur had a really good look at the um, at the profile of that student. So did we, which is why we didn't send Beth. We sent right. Arthur. Right. Uh, Arthur had the potential to create that conductivity with with Jack. He was also able to to bring in skilled elements to that particular learning intervention, education interventions that would connect both heart and mind of that child and potentially ignite that thinking to imagine a future that is worth pursuing. So our education experts are people um, who who come from a variety of backgrounds. So we've had ex-chief um, con- police constables. Uh, we've had uh, uh, MMA fighters, DJs, models, um all with an interest in education, of course. Some of them were qualified teachers. Some of them was ex-probation officers. But we've also got um, um, child psychologists, child mental health practitioners, youth workers, play workers. And they all come in and join as education experts because their job will be to use their expertise to re-engage that child in the curiosity of learning, you know, primarily with the aim of getting that child to imagine life that is worth living and they are young they are old they're black they're white you know they are they are christian they are muslims they are this they are that you know they it's a lot and everyone's got that particular thing that they find it really difficult right there to name it which is that desire to go and say you'll not be left you'll not be left behind and i'll do whatever it takes roll up those sleeves and i'll do whatever it takes to get down and dirty and sort this out it's like being an A and E, like blood flowing in your face, but that person is saved. Let's put them to rest somewhere else and recover. It's so that crisis engagement is over. Um, so, so that's those are education experts. Yeah, do we have qualified teachers? Some people may ask. Yeah, like the majority of our of people are qualified teachers. Do you have youth workers? Yes, we have lots of them. In fact, it may be an intervention. There may be an education intervention that is led by a youth worker and supported by a teacher whereby because that child needs to connect with that youth worker, that youth worker has a better chance of doing that. 
and the skills doing that, or potentially that the youth work is just well into horse riding, that teacher isn't. We'll combine that to make that particular sort of intervention work for that child. Where do we work from? That's the other thing. Our education experts are, like, by default, um, aware that the world, our immediate communities, and our neighbourhoods potentially, are our super resourceful sensory um, classrooms. Sensory classrooms, yeah, or like, but it's for, it's loaded for it's for everyone. If you want a quiet space, there's a park we can go to. Yeah, you know, if you want work with animals, there's an urban farm. Yeah, and actually, it's in that it's in that way of thinking that we're able to to get young people moving. Because actually, taking a young person from a bedroom to a classroom isn't really that innovative, is it? It's not going to. It's not really that sensory. It's not going to in, inspire sort of um, um, potential for a chronically disengaged child. It's not going to inspire um, or incite or excite the brain, is it? You go yeah. from one room to another. Um, one room doing something you, you really like, actually potentially gaming, to doing something you're actually just being told to do because you suffer from depression and anxiety. You're just going to, you know, say yes. But actually, the issue here isn't doing that particular worksheet is about the issue here is about you moving away from that place of seclusion and exclusion to a place where life is worth living. And sometimes a classroom isn't just a place for that. We Diego, need to you know, create it. So anyway, I'm going off on one. No, but no, no. Experts, in a nutshell, our education experts are people who from a variety of backgrounds um, who can be deployed in, in a way that they will find that life is worth living. Going back to uh, Mary Jane and Jack, do you think that Mary Jane enjoyed that? She didn't. What If you, if you compare the experience of engaging with Jack between Mary Jane and Arthur, Arthur loved it. Yeah. Mary Jane found it really difficult. Yeah. So we wanted to give our education experts the opportunity to find themselves a life that is worth living within the, right. their career path. So it's a it's a place for co-learning, really. That's beautiful. I think the other thing that struck me about that first moment with Mary Jane and and, and Arthur's first moment is y you have to get the first moment right with a student like that if you're going to inspire them, don't you? Coming in with a chainsaw all, it will, will have straight away piqued Jack's interest um, where a worksheet won't have. Um, and so I'm pretty sure that you're your education experts will be thinking out of the box from the first moment. Um, I think they were invited to, you know. Um, it, I don't think it was Mary Jane's problem. You know, Mary, Jane's, Mary Jane was never part of a platform that gave her that autonomy. Right. In fact, Mary Jane was always part of a platform that gave her red tape. And right. red tape particular groups like schools are fine because yeah. it's, it's control, really. We're looking at large numbers of students. For a particular student, when we talk about being bespoke, we need to create a different culture for the people who are working in that particular environment that doesn't mirror the mainstream education. But at the moment, it's like we've got all these policies and practices, and when that's happened with the kids, we're not engaging with mainstream anyway. So it's, it, we're a pretty strong culture in setting a culture of autonomy and accountability. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing what people can come up with yeah. when you do if you give them permission, you give them the parameters and then you give them permission to, to be creative and find what works. What we speak to tutors a lot about, about being responsive 
and finding out where your student's up to, not just academically, but in terms of readiness to learn, and then starting from there. Um, and, and sometimes what you want to do is create some quick wins, don't you? Place some low-hanging fruit for them to feel successful and, and jumpstart that positive cycle. Yep. Diego, um, will you come back and do this again for us, please? Because I feel like we've only just scratched the surface. Yeah, yeah. So um, for anybody listening to this, if you if you want to join us, join us in whatever capacity you want. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to jump in with a pitch. But, you know, okay. Julia, it's great to have you join us um, in the way that you do. And um, let's just let's just imagine a world where can you imagine if you could look 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 back in 10 years time and think we collectively change the culture of this of this country. With regards to those who are chronically disengaged, for good, for I better. I certainly can. I Imagine certainly that. can. That, that's amazing, though, eh? And, you know, we're, we're trying to figure it out because we're all responsible in the grand scheme of things. We're, we're not. We're all trying to do good, you know? That's right. so, so, And we have to do it together. Mm, I we think so. We have to do it together. We have to all put our shoulder to the wheel and, and, and channel this and make learning for all students bespoke. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm all for that. But my main, just like just like when I was 12, and yeah. the guy in the rubbish dump for me, they were left behind and didn't really exist. My passion is still for those who are chronically disengaged. It's the few, not the many. Um, right. uh, it's 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 for the least, the last, and the lost in our sector almost. Um, that's what nudge education is all about. And it's about 67,000 of them. There's no way. A single organization like Nerd Education will eradicate it, that disease out of the sector, uh, chronic disengagement, that is. Um, so, yeah, let's make it bespoke for everyone, but let's get behind those who are like leave, being left behind. Um, it will be a, we'll, we'll be better people, you know, it will be, um, it's, it's good for everyone. It's good for everyone. It's beautiful. Thank you for your time, Diego. Thank you Thank so you. much. It's so precious to hear your voice. Thanks for listening to the Qualified Tutor Podcast, where tutors share their expertise to support the tutoring community. If you'd like to continue the conversation, join our Qualified Tutor Community at www.qualifiedtutorcommunity.org or find it in the show notes below. We exist to connect, share and learn with you because tutoring is a small job that makes a big difference.